morning everyone how good was that i love hearing stories of people encountering god and as we turn our attention to scripture this morning i'm reminded of a phrase there is a first time for everything in our home uh, our girls aren't allowed to say they don't like something unless they've tried it at least once and that's easy for me because i will eat just about anything even when I was in the Philippines and somebody offered me balut. Now, I know we have a decent Filipino community at the street and you're chuckling right now uh, for the uninitiated. Balut is fertilized eggs. And it means that when you open it up, you've got sort of like this chicken stock sort of thing on top and maybe there's some black feathers poking out. If you're lucky, I hear, you might even get a bone or two and uh, I, I ate this thing, but it was repeating on me for hours. I don't know that I'm ever going to eat one of those again. I wonder what a food is that you've only tried once. And the thing is, first is significant, whether it's your first steps or your first words through to your first job or your first car, your first kiss, maybe. I went there. First have a, a profound effect on where we head in life and this morning we open up the first pages of scripture and over the next few weeks we're going to look at the first 11 chapters of the bible these are the first pages of scripture these are the first days of our world and i think they are significant for all of us there are some good days in there good things in there things like now the first people and the first wedding there are some not so good things in there like the first murder but they're firsts that shape the world we were born into. And, and they are firsts that are significant for all of us. And so, you see, we all have a worldview. We all have uh, a way of answering questions like, where are we from and where are we going? What's right and wrong and what brings meaning and purpose? And it's our worldview that shapes how we approach some of the big questions in our day, like beginning of life issues, end of life issues, uh, even climate change, for example. And it's in these first pages of Scripture that God begins to reveal answers to those questions of origin, meaning, morality and destiny. And, and they don't give us significant, they don't give us specific solutions for, for every scenario but I think God does build a framework for us within which we can have a conversation. And so I want to invite you into that conversation today, whether you're at home with family, with friends, whether you're in a life group in the week, whether you're on an alpha course right now, uh, I want to invite you into the conversation. And we're going to turn now to Genesis 1 and we're going to read some of the most dramatic words in Scripture. <laughs> I like to think that these are the most read words in the Bible because even if you've only, even if you've decided, oh, I'm going to try and read the Bible cover to cover, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, and you already started, you've read these words. Let's read them together. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. 
Now I'm not going to read all of it, but over over the, the way this passage is structured, that is, there are repeated phrases as the events of creation unfold over a period of six days. These are dramatic opening words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in between. These opening words don't try and convince us of the reality of God. They assume it and they tell us some really significant things about God. It tells us that God is the central character. He takes center stage. It is all about him. His name appears 24 times in these first 25 chapters. You know, I love my my granddad. I love hearing his stories. I love hearing what it was like when he was younger. I love hearing stories about the war. And I need him to tell me those stories because I wasn't there. And we need God to reveal these things to us because none of us was there. But as he reveals himself and as he reveals these events to us, we get a glimpse of the beginning. In the beginning, God. These verses also tell us that God is eternal. You know, they tell us that the world had a beginning. And therefore, they tell us that the world had a beginner. Time, space and matter come together in unimaginable precision. And we're told that there was someone orchestrating that precision. That person, that one was God. In the beginning, God, he has always been. He is outside of time, space and matter. He is eternal. But when we take that forward, we realize that God is trustworthy. When when we read um, this word beginning throughout scripture, we realize that beginning presupposes an end. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and he's the last. And it means we can trust him with everything in between. You know, these are really uncertain, unpredictable days for us right now. And I think this is so important for us to ponder right now, that he is the beginning and the end. He is trustworthy. He is over all. He is through all. He is in all. My soul needs to know today he's the beginning and the end. God is also creative. In the beginning, God created. I love to watch a craftsman at work. Some of you do incredible things with paint on canvas or with special effects in movies. Some of you create the most incredible things out of beautiful raw ingredients in the kitchen. But the way uh, this word create is used of God, it is overwhelmingly used of when God does something brand new. He creates out of nothing. He needs no raw materials. He needs no tools. He creates out of his own desire and out of his own imagination. He is the original creative and what he creates is exquisite. These verses also tell us that God is powerful. When you see a bolt of lightning or you feel an earthquake, we feel the immense power, but it's really only in a small part it's not over the whole earth. It's not out of uh, across the whole universe. But, but think of the forces involved in forming planets and in forming stars and, and across billions of light years of space. Our God formed them. Our God holds them together. Our God is powerful. 
And in Isaiah 40, where, where Judah begins to complain, Isaiah calls them to, to go look outside, go look at the heavens, go look at the stars and remember who created them. His message was, you may get tired, you may get wearied, but not God. And the one who created all these things and sustains all these things is also able to sustain you. These pages also reveal to us God who desires to be known. You know, when we create something, we put ourselves into our creation. They, they, what we create expresses us in some way. It tells us something about the creator. My paintings tell you I can't paint. <laughs> God, is, God is the same. He expresses himself through what he has created. Romans 1.20 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There is a reason we stand in awe of our world. There's a reason we can't stop looking at sunsets and sunrises. There's a reason why we, we are in awe of the grandeur of mountains, the, the power of lions, the, the smell of a rose. It's because in those things, God is speaking to us about himself, about his eternal power and his divine nature. It means God has put evidence of himself in every corner of the planet. He has made sure that there is nowhere you could go where there is not evidence of him because he wants you to know him. These verses also tell us not just incredible things about God, but, but actually they say some really clear things about our world. Notice that each day starts with, and God said, and it often says, and it was so. Each day, each stage of creation is brought about because God speaks. There is order here. There is precision here. It's not random or chaotic or unpredictable. It's ordered and organized and superintended by God. We also give see reasons given for what's happening. Verse 14 talks about the lights in the sky that separate dark from a uh, day from night and and they serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. There is not just order here but there's purpose in the world around us. There's a reason why things exist and there's a reason why they work in the way they do. Finally, again and again, we see the same phrase repeated, and God saw that it was good. This is a profound statement. As God declares the world he's created at every stage and as a whole is good. And, and my friend Aidan, who's producing some videos that sit alongside this sermon series, asks the question, you know, when, when you look at the world around you, does it strike you as, as a, a fundamentally bad world where some things have gone right or a fundamentally good world where some things have gone wrong? And when we read what God reveals to us in Scripture, it's the latter. We live in a good world where some things have gone wrong. Now, I know that for some of you, you're wanting me to, to engage with the question this morning. So, so how old is the earth? And it may not be a question you're 
uh, too interested in, but it's a question that arises because of the word, the use of the word day over six days. And there are three main views here. One view is the earth is just a few thousand years old. And it arises when we interpret the word day as a 24 hour period. And it's fair to say that the main use of the word day throughout scripture is uh, to do with either daytime or a period of 24 hours, especially when the word day is accompanied by a number like here, first day, second day, third day. And it's a view that's reinforced by each day finishing with, and there was morning and there was evening, there was evening and there was morning. Another view, uh, another view brings about, uh, speaks of a, a much longer view of the earth, and it's based in an interpretation of the word day as more like an era. It's like my granddad saying, oh, it's not, a, not like in my day. And, it, and he doesn't mean it's not like it was on the 6th of August, 1960. It means it, it's not like when I was younger. It's not like in a period of time uh, before now. And, and this... Um, interpretation of the word day is less frequent in scripture but it does exist and it is in the book of Genesis. Finally there's the framework view and this doesn't look at the days as, as a sequence but more that the structure of Genesis is suggesting that um, that things are organized so you've got day one day two, day three, and that's sort of creating large spaces. And then day four, day five, and day six act as mirrors where those large spaces are then filled. And what this, interpret, what this view of Genesis 1 uh, shows is that it's saying that this is a really simple articulation of something that is really complicated. And the purpose of Genesis 1 isn't to communicate a sequence of time, but more to affirm that what was made and that God made it. So where do we go with this question? Well, I think the first thing for us to consider is perspective. Now, the most important thing is what you believe about Jesus. And just because somebody holds a different view on the age of the earth to you doesn't make them any more or any less of a Jesus follower. You know, I had a friend who came to faith once and the first question he asked me was, do I have to believe that the world was created in 144 hours? And I said, no, you don't. And that was enough for him. I wasn't telling him he was right or wrong, but it was important for him that he could bring his, his, his mind into his faith. It allowed him to consider, to think and to reason and to wonder. It's so important that we don't bring the age of the earth into the gospel. Another important thing for us to think about here is context. Genesis was originally written by Moses in the desert for for Israel. They've just come out of Egypt where all sorts of gods, including the sun, is worshipped. And God doesn't want, to make, uh, doesn't want them to make the same mistake. They're about to head into Canaan where, again, many gods were worshipped. But also there were some incredible myths about how the world came about. And so Genesis is written into that context to affirm one God, creator of all things. And I don't know that Genesis 1 is written to give a definitive answer on the age of the earth. But that within that, I don't want to give you the impression that this question isn't important. 
You know, it's important that we read Genesis properly. It was treated by the first people who read it as history. It, the, the, the places and the people and the events were treated by Jesus as very real. And so any attempt to try and read these words as just myth or legend or allegory, it doesn't do justice to the genre of literature we have here. Another thing, I, the reason I think this is important is because Genesis affirms again and again that the world God created was good. And often an old earth interpretation, and I say often, not always, often an old interpretation uh, of the age of the earth is often accompanied with macroevolution. But let's just think about that for a moment. If, if the world came about through thousands and thousands, millions of years of death even, could God really conclude at the end of creation that what he created was good? And, and over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to see is that God brings a warning to Adam and Eve. He says, he says if you sin, it will bring about death. And I'm wondering to myself, what kind of warning that is if Adam and Eve are merely the product, product of millions of years of death, even at that point. It's for these reasons that as a leadership, we lean pretty strongly towards a young earth interpretation. Now, I'm not saying you have to agree with me, but if you choose a different position, I think it's really important that you make sure what you believe doesn't just stack up scientifically for you, but also stacks up theologically. Well, I want to take a step back now and I want us to take a step back from that issue and think, well, how do we respond to all we have heard today? And I think fundamentally in what we've talked about, what is revealed here, the one who is revealed to here is a God who is worthy of worship. He is eternal. He is powerful. He is good and he is in control today and he is trustworthy today. He is worthy of our worship today. I also see in this chapter an invitation into how we're to live. This world is a precious gift to us, not just in terms of uh, us looking after it, but also in enjoying it. Go explore the world, you know, knowing that it reveals him. Go experiment, knowing that he has enabled us to experiment and test and investigate because he's created a world of order that, that works and fits together. Let's also create as a reflection of his creativity and his imagination, whether it's on a canvas or in the kitchen, whether it's in speech or song or darts, go create, go imagine. And finally, let's respond to him, our God who has made himself known. You know, we've heard it today that this powerful God desires to be known and this and, and, and what brought about our world was a powerful word. But John tells us in his gospel that that word has a name. John 1, 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John tells us that the word of God wasn't merely a voice or an idea, but a person, a person who one day entered the world he had created. 
to reveal God most perfectly, but the one who also died on the cross to reconcile us to this creator, God. The word was and the word is and the word always will be Jesus. And our greatest concern, our greatest desire is that you would know him today and that your whole life would be a discovery where you where you get to know him more deeply and more profoundly and more personally. And it's in that vein that we now turn in worship as Jamie leads us in a song, How Great Thou Art.